You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Lots of things we could talk about. There's a bunch of little tiny tidbit things going on. Um, But it seems like one of the biggest ones, and I usually don't like to get into these, although I eventually get dragged into it um, because they're stupid. But people have been coming out with lists because that's what they do. I'm tempted to do it just because, number one, I think it would be a fun exercise, and number two, everybody's going to hate it. They're going to retweet it, talking about how much they hate it, and then that ends up being a positive as well. But David Bakhtiari was not considered a top 10 tackle. Womp womp. Now, I think, unlike a lot of people, my immediate reaction wasn't how could you not have David? Because here's what I think is happening. And let just be completely honest. It's just me and you, and I can't even see into your brain. So you just, no reason not to be honest. When you saw the top 10 list of offensive tackles, you didn't even read the other tackles. You skimmed it to see if you could see David Bakhtiari. You didn't. And then you made some kind of a comment about how stupid the list was. Is that about right? Honestly, no. Here's the problem. If I asked you, who's a better tackle, David Bakhtiari or Panay Sewell, would you know the answer, and what would you base it on? I'm guessing you would have no idea, just like I would have no idea. The, the bottom line is this. When I see a list, and I, I let me see, if, I'm sure there's been more than one, but let me see if I can find the big controversial one that everybody's worried about. So here is just a couple that I found, all right? Um, number one says, who are the top three offensive tackles in the NFL. This is PFF. It says, who are the top three tackles in the NFL? But they list one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and Bakhtiari isn't in it. 33rd team, who are the three best offensive tackles in the NFL? Somebody ripped off somebody because that's awfully specific. But they do have David Bakhtiari here. He's just sort of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He's like the 10th one in line. So there's that. Then PFF did a a ranking themselves. They have David Bakhtiari 13th between Orlando Brown and Ronnie Stanley. Top 10 best offensive tackles in the NFL ranked by executives, players, coaches, and scouts via um, Jeremy Fowler. Uh, Trent Williams, Laramie Tunsil, Tristan Wirfs, Lane Johnson, Jordan Mailata, Penny Sewell, Andrew Thomas, Rashawn Slater, Christian Derisaw, Colton Miller. Those are the top 10. Honorable mentions has five players, including David Bakhtiari. So everybody is super pissed that he's not seen as a top 10 tackle right now. I, I, I understand being a Packer fan and wanting to defend your guy, but you can't start screaming that he deserves to be considered top 10 unless you know that he's top 10. Because you got to understand, top 10 doesn't just mean he's really good. Top 10 literally means there's not more than nine people in front of him. How do you know? How would you possibly know if there are nine guys better than David Bakhtiari? What is your criteria? Maybe some people actually did it, but I'm guessing almost zero out of several thousand people that have participated in this have not even looked at it. Don't even know hardly anything about guys like Jordan Mailata, Colton Miller. I'm not saying I agree with the assessment. I'm just starting from a baseline Listen, if if this is what you want to do, just go out and defend your guys, Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, cool, go do it. But if you want to be reasonable and rational, then you have to really, I mean, the only way to do it is to really assess the list and look at each one and and determine if they're better or not. And well, he gave up zero sacks. Okay, how many sacks did Trent Williams give up? Do you know? Also, the other thing I don't like about these lists, because whenever I think about doing a list, I always think it depends on the criteria. What are we talking about? Are we talking about, like, if I were to take a tackle today, who would I take? Because then youth would be a major part of that. And you'd have a lot of younger, more talented guys would be at the front. Are we talking about career? Are we talking about who do I think is going to be best in 2023? Am I talking about who is the best in 2022? These are very different. Right? Are we talking just talent, or does injury play into it? Because David Bakhtiari has been injured for a while, and if it does, he doesn't deserve to be top 10. 
Nobody ever gives the criteria that they're using, which makes sense, because number one, I don't think they even have a criteria. I think they're going off the top of their dome. But beyond that, I think it, if you're more specific and actually try to make your case, it's less likely that people are going to get pissed and start retweeting all your stuff. So you just say, here's top 10 and leave it at that and let people fight amongst themselves. But on our end, legitimately, we'd have to look at it. Let's look at the PFF thing. Go one by one. Trent Williams. Is David Bakhtiari better than Trent Williams? If you don't know, then why are you doing this? What about Lane Johnson? What about Laramie Tunsil, Andrew Thomas, Christian Derisaw, Jordan Mailata, Tristan Wirfs, Colton Miller, Rashawn Slater, Penny Sewell, Ryan Ramzik, Ronnie Stanley? PFF put all of those guys in front of David Bakhtiari. Who do you disagree with? Because again, we're not just saying really good. We're, we're ranking them compared to everybody else. So the only way you can rank David Bakhtiari is if you not only know David Bakhtiari really well and how he played on a snap-to-snap basis, but every other offensive tackle in the entire NFL. Nobody has that information. Nobody is using that information. We're just having pissing matches. So, I mean, we could look at a couple things here. But, but I think the most important thing to do would be for somebody to come up with a criteria first. Come up with some kind of formula. In other words, like take 10 different statistics that you like. You know, um, how many snaps they played, overall PFF grade, run blocking, PFF grade, pass blocking, um, sacks given up as like a negative, hits given up, hurries given up. You could use pass blocking efficiency, whatever you want to do. Take all these things and then weight them. So it's sort of like a blind result. You don't know. You, you come up with the criteria first, then you plug in the numbers, then you run the data, and there you go. This is who you think is actually the best. And if David Bakhtiari isn't the best on your list, then, then you lose the game. <laughs> But again, nobody's doing that. Anyways, one thing to note. David Bakhtiari played 597 snaps. Almost every other human being, with the exception of Rashawn Slater, who we can actually just get out of this list because he doesn't really belong in the list because he hardly played at all. Everybody else played over 1,000 with the exception of Christian Derrissaw at 910. So he, he effectively played about a half a season worth, a little bit more, let's say 60% of a season worth of snaps if that doesn't matter if that doesn't factor in then ignore it if it does then you have to count that along with his entire injury history over the last couple years all right overall pff grade david bakhtiari ranked 12th now it it depends where you want to weight this because pass blocking is more important than run blocking right if we're strictly look if all you care just give me his pff pass blocking grade he's sixth so there you go he is top 10 he's not top five but he's top 10 colton miller Excuse me, Trent Williams, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Lane Johnson, Laramie Tunsil are in front of him. This, and by the way, I, I think this is an okay list. Maybe you can kind of sort it a little bit different based on run blocking. You can look at this and say, I mean, there's not a big difference between Trent Williams and Andrew Thomas, and Trent Williams had a 92 PFF grade, so he should probably go up quite a ways, but then we're kind of just using, you know, the, the overall PFF grade, which kicks David Bakhtiar out of the, the whole thing, because... As a run blocker, he ranked 33rd. Now, of the, let's say, top 20 um, overall PFF grade guys, how many give up zero sacks? David Bakhtiari and Lane Johnson. That's it. How many give up zero sacks and zero hits? David Bakhtiari and Lane Johnson. Now, remember, David Bakhtiari played about 50% of the snaps that Lane Johnson did. So it's pretty unlikely that if he doubled the amount of snaps he played, that it would have stayed this way. But maybe. Now, if you just want to look at stats, I don't know that you can make a... I mean, it would be Lane Johnson would be number one, plus he had a much better run blocking grade than um, David Bakhtiari did, but Lane Johnson would be number one, then David Bakhtiari would probably be number two. Or you could just look at pass blocking efficiency, because pass blocking efficiency looks at the total number of snaps, and then how many sacks, hits, and hurries you gave up, with sacks being the most valuable, then hits, then hurries. It's actually a pretty solid way, if you want to look at statistics, to do it. In that case... Tristan Wirfs is number one. Um, he did give up three sacks, but he only gave up six pressures the entire season, which is incredibly low. Lane Johnson would be number two, then Laramie Tunsil, then David Bakhtiari. So he would be fourth. So if you're just looking at PFF grades for pass blocking, he was, what, sixth? Fourth in terms of his statistics as a pass blocker. Overall, I think he was 12th because run blocking was not very good. So those are just a couple different things to look at.
So again, I'm not super interested. I don't really care. I know he's a very good football player. He still is a very good football player. The run blocking seemed to take a slight step back this year. Since Matt LaFleur got here, he's been pretty good at it, but not quite so much last year. But again, I don't super care. If I had to guess, is he top 10? Probably. I, I, I don't know. Because I, I can't tell you much about Jack Conklin. I don't know anything about Jack Conklin. I know his PFF grade is a 66, and he doesn't grade out very good at all. But if we're just using statistics, he was tied with David Bakhtiari. So the, the film study, so to speak, as far as the grades are concerned, they didn't like him very much. But just from a pure statistical standpoint, which could be scheme and things like that, which, you know, whatever, um, Conklin is, is the fourth best. But I, I don't know. And that's the point. You can't talk about a top 10 list unless you know at least all of the top guys, not just the people in the top 10. You got to know a lot of people, and nobody does, but everybody wants to fight about top 10 lists. So what I think is fair, and I think everybody acknowledges, Packers fans, as well as everybody else who's put him in the honorable mention category, he's in that top 10 range and probably around 10. Now, some Packer fans probably want to put him at number one or two or whatever, but again, you have no earthly idea how everybody else is doing. But I think everybody understands, and I think it's fair to put him kind of in the not top five, somewhere around top ten, based on just what he did last year, where he played a half a season, came back from injury, and all that stuff. Do I expect him to be able to play a full season and be better than he was last time? Yeah, probably. Something else about David Bakhtiari that's worth noting, okay? Well, a few things. Number one, again, long injury history, right? That's not super great, especially when you're talking about a guy that's coming up on 32 years old. So 32, lots of injuries. Let's look at his week-to-week grades. Now, remember, his pass blocking is always better, but is this what you would expect from a guy that you're thinking is a top-five tackle? Ready? Here's every single week his grades. 64, 55, 59. Now, we know he got off to a slow start, and then he got better, right? Then it went to 85, 88. Very good games. Then it went 65, 74, 77, 70, 69, 57. So he had two elite games, and then it started to taper back down. So if we're looking at David Bakhtiari, after those two elite games that he had, he ranked 30th. So he was bad for three games, had two elite games, and then after that, he was the 30th best tackle. So outside of those two games, he was never really an elite tackle. I know the stats are fantastic. I get it. So what is the confidence level, right? We remove... Two really good games back-to-back, and where is he? I mean, and if I just remove those two games, which is a little unfair, but it gets worse from there. So, you know, he didn't give up any sacks or hits. That's huge, right? Pass blocking was fantastic pretty much all year, and that's what matters the most. And I'm hopeful that that's going to continue and it's not going to be a problem. Um, but I, I, I just don't know 100%. And so if you look at him and say he's in that top 10 range and you're kind of looking at tiebreakers you know the guy that played a half a season who's missed a lot of time the last couple years he's basically played one season worth in the last three years i'd probably grade him down amongst the others is he still top 15 yeah am i you know massively confident that he's going to remain elite i think he's going to have a good year if he stays healthy especially pass blocking but there's some concerns, for sure. But, I mean, do we even understand how good Trent Williams is? I, I mentioned in 2021, I've never seen anything like what Trent Williams did last year. Absolutely unbelievable. He had a 96.6 PFF grade. 96.6. His last three years have been 92, 97, and 92. He's 35 years old. There is no more elite tackle that I think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he he's not quite on that level, but he is he is dangerously close to Aaron Donald level good at tackle. Christian Derisaw gives up too many sacks. I mean, that's just he gave up five sacks and and honestly there were one, two, three, five sacks in four games. So it was just a really bad stretch there. So I don't I wouldn't love that if I was a Vikings fan, but still to have an 82 pass blocking grade and a 91 run blocking grade and that's just in year two so he jumped from a 72 to a 90.4 his pass blocking grade went from a 63 to an 82 his run blocking went from a 77 to a 91 so there there would be supreme optimism 
if I was a Vikings fan about Christian Derisaw. Um, I mean, again, I don't know the criteria, but if somebody asked me, would you swap Derisaw for David Bakhtiari, I would not even for a second make that swap. He's almost as good as Bakhtiari today, and he's 24 years old, and if he takes a third-year leap, he could be a premier tackle in the NFL. Now, Andrew Thomas, when you look at the leaps he's made, he, his rookie year was a 62, then he went to a 79, this year was a 90 overall. Run blocking, 62, 68, 81. Pass blocking, 54, 82, 90. I mean, this dude is becoming one of the absolute freaks. And again, 24 years old. He was a fourth overall pick, 6'5", 315. The guy is an absolute freaking monster. Yes, he gives up more sacks. Overall pressure is not quite as bad, but still, you know, you don't love to see it. But this guy is an absolute monster. And I, and I understand it's like, well, why would you trade in a guy for four sacks compared to zero sacks? We're talking about 700 snaps. The guy didn't give up sacks on 696 out of 700 snaps. I understand four is worse than zero, but I mean, come on. <laughs> we're, we're talking 696 out of 700. We're getting into some pretty minute numbers here. So I love Bakhtiari. I think there is overall... Way too much hate on the Packers. I've mentioned that several times. I think now that Rodgers is gone, everybody's expected to be worse. I think it was, I forget if it was PFF or what, they dropped the Packers eight or nine spots just because Aaron Rodgers made the offensive line good and the Jets went up the exact same amount. I mean, it's just the most absurd garbage in the world. And yes, I saw um, uh, Aaron Nagler say something about the amnesia that the media has had since David Bakhtiari's injury, like he's been gone, so everybody just forgot how good he is. I think all that's relatively true. But we're talking about a guy that's maybe like the 8th best tackle who's being called like the 12th best tackle, right? I mean, I'm not ready to riot over that necessarily. I think there are, you know, I mean, Christian Watson's underrated. I think Aaron Jones is the bigger one in which everybody's underrated him, and that's always been the case. But again, my, my only frustration with the whole thing is, and it's not just Packer fans, it's everybody. Everybody's got an opinion. Nobody has any facts. And if they do, it's, it's almost nothing. Like, Bakhtiari gave up zero sacks. How could he be not top 10? Like, well, I mean, is, is that all we're going based on, is how many sacks that we're giving up? Because you're not going to end up with a really good list. I mean, Zach Tom gave up zero sacks. Is he up there with the rest of them? I mean, maybe. Sam Cosme. He didn't play quite as much, but he had zero sacks and zero hits. He only had a 62 grade, though. Or how about Dwayne Brown? He played pretty much a whole season for the Jets, and that's probably why the Jets think he's super elite. He only gave up one sack, but he had a 56 PFF grade. So, you know, it it can't just be the one stat. There's got to be a more rich and full context of how are we actually going to do this? What is actually the criteria? If you want to... If you see that people are saying he's not top 10 and you think he should be top 10, that's when you got to start doing the work. That's when it's like, all right, first of all, do I want to do this? Like, legitimately, am, am I going to do this? Do I want to put in the work to find out if, if he's being snubbed or or what? Like, you don't have to fan how you want to fan, do what you want to do. But I'm just telling you it doesn't make any sense to say that I know he's better than every single tackle with the exception of maybe nine but I don't know anything about any of the other tackles. That doesn't make any sense. Top 10 isn't just a ranking of how good you are. It's a ranking compared to everybody else. So you have to know how good everybody else is, right? Now, with that said, I do think that the slander on um, Aaron Jones is perennially ridiculous. There aren't too many metrics you can use, which the, the metrics that you can use, that everybody does use, is basically just total yards and touchdowns. Now, surprisingly, Aaron Jones actually was top 10 in total yards despite the complete lack of usage. The problem is he had two touchdowns and five fumbles. So, you know, that's the the only three numbers that anybody ever really cares about, yards and touchdowns. Granted, he added five touchdowns on top of that, receiving, but, you know, whatever. I'm sure the other running backs did too. But the, 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 the broader point here is I don't know that there's really any criteria you can use unless we're talking about like the, the five-year plan where it's like, eh, maybe you look to some of the younger guys, whoever that might even be. I don't even know. I guess Josh Jacobs should be a good one. I mean, again, for running backs, 26, especially if they're used a lot, is kind of like we're getting, getting up there, you know? Aaron Jones is able to, to handle it as long as he has, I think, because of the limited usage. He's 28, basically over the hill, but still rolling. 
but by pretty much any standard, right? He's not 30 years old. Um, if you look at his his track record year to year, his availability, his consistency, whether you're looking at yards, yards per attempt, touchdowns, PFF, whatever, he's always, always at the top. But I think the biggest knock against him is he doesn't get quite as many yards or fantasy points because he doesn't get used as much. But Aaron Jones was ninth in yards. Um, he was tied for fifth in yards per attempt at 5.3. He ranked seventh as far as his PFF grade. He was second as far as his PFF rushing grade. Seventh most missed tackles forced. Yards after contact, not exactly the best. Carries of 10 or uh, more yards. He was eighth, tied with Dalvin Cook. I mean, again, it just... he. There's just not 10 guys that, all things being equal, you're going to want as your running back. Now, the only potential thing I could see is, for example, if we're talking like fantasy football... Who's going to get you the most points? Well, he may not be used as much, and some people think Dylan is going to start getting a bigger workload for the Packers moving forward. I, I heard somebody say that. I wasn't exactly sure I understood the rationale behind it. Maybe because of the more physical nature that they're going to want to impose. Maybe it's to transition away from Jones. I, I really don't know that I followed the logic there because he absolutely dominated last year, Aaron Jones, I mean. But even that, the general consensus is the Packers are going to run a bunch more. Again, I, I don't 100% know if I buy that, that we're going to run a ton more. I'm sure we'll run more, but I, I, again, the consensus is that we will. So even that doesn't necessarily hold up. So I, I just really struggle to understand where, and, and again, there's there's a lot of really good running backs in here, but you know, you start putting guys like Dalvin Cook in the list, which I saw, I mean, that, that's a guy that's always been overhyped. And, it, and it's strictly because they give him a billion carries and he gets a bunch of yards. Here are his career PFF grades. 69, 72, 76, 89, 65, 68. He had one premier year in the NFL, and that was in 2020. But his yards have been 1,200, 1,500, 1,200, and 1,200. Right? And in that 2019, 2020, it was 15 touchdowns and 16 touchdowns. They ran the freaking guy into the ground. But here are his PFF grades for 2022. Ready? 70, 40, 60, 60, 70, 60, 70, 50, 60, 60, 50, 50, 40, 70, 60, 50, 40, 60. That's trash. That's trash. Zero games he graded in the 80s or 90s and had four games in the 70s, and that's it. Four. His highest was a 75. That sucks. So, no, he doesn't belong. But again, it's the laziness of people, which I don't know how people get, uh, apparently become really good when they analyze tackles. Maybe it's because there's not a lot of data, and so they have to actually dig into more advanced data. Whereas running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks, you could just look at the yards and the touchdowns and just decide who's elite from that. But Dalvin Cook does not belong in the conversation. He never has. He's been overhyped his entire career. You know, the, the amount of touches, I mean, that year in 2020, he had 312 attempts. 312. 14 games. 312 attempts. Aaron Jones has only cracked 200 three times in his career. He had 214 in 2022. 214. And again, there are a lot of really good running backs that belong, you know, that, that deserve a lot of respect. There's no question about it. You know, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, guys like that are absolutely deserving. Um, McCaffrey, I think, is still going fairly strong. I mean, really high usage. You know, 4.8 yards per attempt, but he had a 90 PFF grade. I'm not going to pick on the guy. It was actually the best year of his career, obviously, now that he went to freaking Carolina. Or uh, San Francisco, I mean. I think Saquon maybe is a little bit overhyped. I mean, he had, he had a good year as far as his grades go. 80 PFF grade, 85 rushing grade, but he has never matched what he should have done. And even if you look at his PFF grades... He only got an 80 because of the largely because of consistency, but 77 was his highest. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in the 70s. Everything else was below it. So, I mean, on average, he's kind of getting you a game around in the 60s. Like if you had to guess what grade he was going to get, 68 would probably be a good guess. But if you look at his grade in 2021, it was a 59, and 2020 was a 60. And I know he was injured, but that's another problem. The dude's never healthy. In 4.6 yards per attempt. Uh, yeah, he had a bunch of yards, but that's because he had 313 attempts. I mean, come on, if you're getting over 300 attempts, you're going to get a ton of yards. I would not put Saquon ahead of Aaron Jones. 
Um, you know, Derrick Henry, I I really don't know. I mean, I know he, he kind of peaked like 2020-ish, you know, kind of that stretch 2018 to 2020. But what has he done since then? 2021, I mean, the grades are still there, but he didn't even crack 1,000 yards. He had 4.2 yards per attempt. And then 2022 is just 4.4 yards per attempt. He still had 1,500 yards and 13 touchdowns because he had 350 attempts. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, I don't mean to sound whiny, but it's a little unfair <laughs> to compare Aaron Jones getting 215 attempts compared to Derrick Henry getting 350. And the way he ended the season, which makes sense, he's probably starting to break down a little bit. As big as he is, he's 29 years old and carries the ball freaking 350. He carried the ball 400 times in 2020, 386 in 2019. But he ended the season horribly. Starting in week 10, it was 50, 70, 50, 50, 60, 60, 90, 60. So he had two good games. Everything else was below average to bad. I don't think Derrick Henry goes ahead of Aaron Jones to me. Uh, Miles Sanders, no. I, I, don't, I don't know if he's in a lot of people's lists, but, I mean, 60, 60, 70, 71 was his grade this year. I mean, that's, that's the highest he's been. He doesn't really belong in that category. Josh Jacobs, super awesome guy. I don't know 100,000% that he belongs ahead of Aaron Jones, but he's, he's deserving, right? 92 rushing grade is impressive, but even he, you know, it's like, well, 1,600 yards, 12 touchdowns. Yeah, 340 attempts, though. And he also started to break down at the end of the season, which is something that would be interesting to kind of keep an eye on. I'm just noticing now, starting in week 14, he did not have a good game from week 14 on. 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 were all pretty bad. And he was good almost every game before that. Just wonder if these high usage guys, all these attempts, it starts to break you down a little bit, especially since right around that time is when he started to break down, is when he started to get all the carries. Week 10 is when he's, you know, you know, 21, 24, then 33 carries, then 26, and then after that, he was done. They gave him 26 carries, 3.7 yards per attempt. They gave him 22 carries, you know, 4.2, 15 carries, 2.9 yards per attempt. He was done. He was cooked for the rest of the year. Uh, Nick Chubb, super mega elite. He's never had less than five yards per carry. If you want to put Chubb ahead of Jones, I really don't have a problem with it, but I mean, Aaron Jones is as good and as consistent as it gets. I mean, his PFF grades, 78, 80, 85, 75, which is his lowest ever, 82, and then 86. He had a 91 rushing grade this year. I mean, he's got a 5.1 yard per attempt average, um, 5.3 this past year. I, I, I mean, I I haven't done the work. I'm, I'm interested in maybe doing it, but I don't know that... I would be surprised if he didn't end up in my top three running backs. It would depend on the criteria, but I don't think it really matters. Whatever criteria I pick, I think he would end up being top three. The only one that might be a question is, like, if you were drafting running backs for the future, he probably wouldn't be that. But that's not as interesting. Anyways, I'm just going to take a bunch of first, second-year guys. You know, Brees Hall, he didn't play a ton and didn't grade out the greatest, but you're talking 5.8 yards per attempt. I might take a flyer on that. You know, Khalil Herbert for the Bears at 5.7. So, you know, anyways... That's one where I would see somebody make a list and just go, what, what are we basing this on? Are, are you just going to a fantasy football website and just taking down notes? But, but even then, Aaron Jones had, let, let me just look. Because again, I don't, I very rarely go to those. But let me find a fantasy football website and just see where he ended up last year among running backs. Maybe it wasn't high because of the low touchdowns and the receive, I think he had a low receiving grade. So maybe he didn't do as well receiving as other guys. Yep, Aaron Jones was 11th. So he'd be outside of the top 10. There you go. Josh Jacobs, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Jamal Williams. I don't, I'm sure somebody would have kicked him off the list, but Dalvin Cook is there. So again, Dalvin Cook is viewed as a top 10 running back, despite really not being one. I just think the, the media landscape is so overtaken by fantasy football. That's why, I mean, guys like Dalvin Cook it's, and Miles Sanders, he, I was looking at that too. Like, why would Miles Sanders be on a list? He's really not even that good. That's why he's a top 10 fantasy guy. Probably has a lot to do with his receiving ability and everything else. And, and Aaron Jones is actually 16th if you just average it out on an average week. He was getting 11.2 fantasy points per week. So um, Ezekiel Elliott, Miles Sanders, Kenneth, Kenneth Walker, Dalvin Cook, James Conner, Joe Mixon, Jamal Williams, Tony Pollard, Brees Hall, Saquon, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, all ahead of him. But I'm I'm not... I mean, if you want to do a separate thing of... 
And, and and there's a lot of fantasy people that do this, right? We've got a fantasy show on the network. We got, I mean, if you want to be specific to fantasy, just say, here's my top 10 fantasy rankings for running backs. And if he's not in it, I'm not going to really care because I don't know what's going on over there in fantasy land. Just like, oh, I, I guess not. I don't know. You guys are running all kinds of programs and stuff. But if you're asking just who's the most talented running back and he's not in your top 10, I just, I'm, I would be curious what criteria we're using here because I, I don't, I don't see it. Anyways, those are my thoughts on that. Why don't we take a quick break? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is where you can support the podcast. You can do so for as little as $1 per month. Thank you very much to Eric for jumping in on the Patreon. I'm sitting at exactly 200 patrons. So thank you guys all so much for hanging in there. Really appreciate you. And uh, by the way, if you guys have any ideas for what you'd like me to do, I'm obviously very time constrained, but... um, you know, some some little things you, you'd like for me to be able to do just for the patrons. I know um, every time I try to do it, I, I end up, you know, I, I, I don't have time to maintain it. Um, and plus, it usually doesn't seem to help. Most people seem to want to just join to support the podcast. And then I'm like, well, I'm going to do this thing. I dedicate this time and nobody really cares. But if you, if you can think of something, I know I, I, I used to do like polls and stuff, which I need to kind of get back to doing that. I just don't think about it. Just let me know. And I will try to... Uh, Give myself some kind of reminder or something. I need I need like a checklist of stuff that I need to do. Like you got to at least touch this thing today. But anyways, uh, also Venmo, Packernet Podcast, if you'd rather go that route. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, um, another thing I wanted to quick touch on, I just want to look at kind of where the Packers are at. Not a lot of movement, but just kind of keeping an eye on it. First of all, just looking at week one, before we even get to the Packers, I kind of talked about this. There was this feeling that Detroit and the... I feel like Lions fans are kind of getting screwed here a little bit, right? Because... I think the NFL schedule makers wanted it to be Chiefs-Lions because they think it's going to be a high-scoring game. They know the Chiefs are going to kick the living crap out of Detroit. Lions fans don't know that, though. <laughs> They're over there saying, yeah, they put us with the Chiefs because they know we're a primetime team. No, dude, they know your defense sucks and you'll probably be able to score a bunch of points. It'll be a high-scoring game. The Kansas City Chiefs are currently 8.5-point favorites. I mean, we'll see where the line is when the time comes, but... In 32 games, they are 30-2 and two when the spread is 8.5 uh, or more in their favor. So I think the Lions are being set up for a curb stomping. 
which makes me happy, but anyways, we'll we'll just leave it at that. On the flip side of the coin, the Minnesota Vikings are taking on Tampa Bay, and they are um, minus seven, so Vikings are seven-point favorites at home. The Packers game actually seems to be shifting more in favor of the Bears. It kind of was heavy Bears, then it started to drift closer toward the Packers because it seemed like it was kind of getting too far in that direction, and then there's been just more and more and more anti-Packers stuff, and it's kind of going back to minus three for Chicago. Now, I know there's the conception that, well, it's in Chicago, home field gets three points, so it's even. It's not really true. I just saw something recently. I don't know if I have it here. Yeah, I got it right here. Um, Somebody did a little study on home field advantage in, looks like 2021. Oh, since 2021. And it's under two points what home field advantage gives you. It's just under two points. So the Bears would be roughly one-point favorites right now if you factor in home field advantage. And specifically, Chicago's home field advantage over that time is 1.82. So that's probably pretty close to average. The Packers are just over two points, 2.06. So again, roughly one to one and a half point favorites right now is what people are putting the Bears at over the Green Bay Packers, all things being equal. Now, personally, I actually think that's somewhat fair um, I'm not saying I'm I'm all the way in on the Bears winning. I mean, it, it's pretty close to 50-50, which is what Vegas is saying anyways. But, I mean, if you really think about it, I, I think the Packers clearly have the better roster. That's not even really close. But when, when the quarterback is as big of a question mark as it is, the defense was pretty substandard last year, although the Bears' defense is pretty terrible also. You factor in home field advantage. And then the other thing is that the Packers have historically really struggled week one. And you can make it, well, it's different this year. It's not Rodgers. They're going to be more prepared. Maybe. But I I had just seen uh, not too long ago Michael Lombardi um, had made the point that, you know, he puts that on the coach. The ability to be prepared week one is a coaching thing. And um, I don't really disagree. I mean, we'll have to see if things change with a a newer, younger, more uh, hungry and ambitious, focused group. But I think we've seen enough from this team in terms of how poorly they do week one, how poorly they do after bye weeks, how poorly they're prepared for big games like the Lions game or for whatever. The uh, just just being unprepared. I, I I think it's fair to at least question whether that's a Matt Lafleur thing. I would say that's you know in my mind over fifty percent. So all the factors included, I think it's somewhat fair to to put the Bears slightly ahead despite not having nearly the upside. I mean, if Jordan Love is a mediocre quarterback in this game and everybody else plays up to their own standard, which again is probably somewhat unlikely, I think the Packers win walking away because the Bears, despite all these massive improvements, are a pretty terrible team. But we also have to remember the the season is not one week long, right? As much as it's going to be if the Packers lose, which is far from a guarantee, if the Green Bay Packers lose, um, We've got plenty more weeks to play, right? And this is the the very real reality is we're on the road. This is a divisional opponent that freaking hates you. (laughs) We are very um, unfamiliar as a unit together. We very much struggle week one as a team. And the, the team probably needs more so than just about any other team in the NFL time to work together. So with all that said, last I checked, the Packers were favorites for the Bears game in Lambeau Field, because a lot of things change, right? Packers in December, significantly better than Packers week one. Um, You know, Packers at home compared to Packers on the road. Packers having had the entire season to work together and kind of get into a rhythm, and Jordan Love getting into a rhythm, and the rookies getting into a rhythm compared to week one. And yes, that applies to everybody, but it applies more so to the Packers who have much more young and inexperienced players, which means you would expect worse at the beginning of the season, but more growth throughout the course of the season than, than a lot of other teams. And also, if you really wanted to factor this in, youth probably plays to your advantage at the end of the season. You have less people kind of breaking down. Uh, just going through a couple other things, Green Bay Packers have one of the lowest odds to win the Super Bowl at plus 6,500. Those are some pretty massive <laughs> numbers there. You want to mess around and put 10 bucks down on the Packers and walk away with a cool 650 bucks. If they pull that off, uh, they're actually tied with the Raiders, the Patriots, and the Washington Commanders. Oh, and the Giants and the Rams. So there's quite a few. The only teams with worse odds: Carolina Panthers, Tennessee Titans, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Indianapolis Colts, 
Houston Texans and Arizona Cardinals. Texans and Cardinals both at 20,000. Be so tempting to put a bet on them just because something absolutely crazy happens. I mean, even the Texans, you know, they got a rookie quarterback. Who knows? He comes in, tears it up. Probably not, but it's a lot of money. And that's how Vegas gets all their money because stupid people who are like, dude, it's a lot of money. Never know. Um, plus 3,000 to win the NFC. It's actually tied with the Chicago Bears, um, the Panthers, Washington, Tampa Bay, LA, Rams, and Arizona Cardinals, the only teams with worse odds. Cardinals are so far behind. It's plus 4,500 for the Rams and Buccaneers, second worst odds. 10,000, plus 10,000 for the Arizona Cardinals. And then odds within the NFC North, the Lions plus 140, Vikings plus 290. Chicago Bears plus 400, Packers plus 400. So they've got the Packers and Bears just absolutely neck and neck here. The um, Detroit Lions actually have the second weakest odds of any favorite to win the division at plus 140. Only the Bengals have worse odds at plus 150 to win the division. So very, very neck and neck. Also, the um, fourth place team, which would be the Bears and the Packers, have the best odds of any teams to win their division. So this is the closest division for sure. The next closest would be the Pittsburgh Steelers at plus 450 who are in fourth place to win the division. So another that one is the the AFC North is is maybe arguably the only other one that's closer because the Bengals do have the worst odds to win the division. The Pittsburgh Steelers have the second uh, best odds for a fourth place team and then you have cleveland at plus 425 baltimore at plus 220 so afc north and nfc north are very much a uh, toss-up which surprises me because i I feel like the bengals should kind of walk away with it but i guess i could understand you know if lamar stays healthy the ravens are always scary uh pittsburgh i genuinely believe in i mean last year i had no faith in pittsburgh um whatsoever and they still pulled off a winning record, right? I thought for sure that was going to come crashing down. They weren't going to have a winning record. They they scraped it out just barely. And then again, I, I really believe their quarterback situation is going to improve this year. So, And then, of course, Cleveland, again, depending on what Deshaun can do with a full season, if he can get back to being a top five quarterback, clearly that can be a dangerous team as well. So I get it. If I had to pick a team that was probably the best bet, I would be very tempted to say the Packers. I, I have the least amount of faith in the Chicago Bears, so I'm not touching that. If I wasn't going to pick the Packers, I would pick the Lion or the the uh, the Vikings. The Lions being put at plus one forty means if you put a hundred dollars down, you get a forty dollar return. That's complete garbage for a team that is so far from even being fifty percent. I mean, if you think about it, if if it's if it's fifty fifty in your mind, you'd probably want to like double your money. Like if something's fifty fifty in my mind, and I'm going to put a hundred dollar bet down, I want to win two hundred. It's a toss up. It's double or nothing. I lose a hundred or I gain a hundred. And so there's no way in the world I would make that bet. The Vikings aren't terrible at 290 because, you know, again, with that same logic, 100 for 300, is there about a 30% chance? Yeah, roughly, maybe even a little bit better than that. And then the Packers at, at 400, I mean, if it's, it's a 1 in 25. If, if you just, a, a 1 in 4 chance, then it makes sense to me. Because if I put down 100 bucks, I'm either going to lose the 100 or I'm going to gain $400, which I guess is winning 300 but whatever. I still think that that would be fair because, I, I again, I'm, I'm more or less discounting the Bears. And um, I know the Packers have the best upside of any team. So I, I don't think it's a terrible bet. The Bears I'm not touching. The Lions I think are a joke. It's a waste of money to because if you lose, you lose big. And if you win, you win small. And the, the odds that it's going to hit, I, in my opinion, are, are too low for that to make sense to me. I mean, they didn't even make the playoffs. The Vikings were clearly ahead of them. I understand the Vikings are going to regress, but they could regress and still beat the crap out of the Lions. So if I had to put money down, it would be on the Vikings or the Packers. And I would probably lean Packers just because it's, it's a, bet, a much better return. You know, I mean, the Vikings are, are marginally ahead in my mind as far as who I think might win the division. But the odds are much heavier in the Packers' side of things. Uh, and then if you look at winning or, or getting into the playoffs, the Packers are uh, plus 180 to get in. That one isn't the worst because, I mean, obviously if they win the division, even if they don't have the greatest record, you're in. But you're dropping from 400 down to plus 180, and that difference is made up by you have a good enough record to get in, but you didn't win the division, which would imply that 
a lot of people in the division had a good record, right? So it would be like the Lions had 10 and the Packers maybe squeak in with nine or whatever. The, the difference between the two isn't enough to really make that make sense. If I'm going to do it, I would rather just take the plus 400 for them to win the division. I actually don't mind the no, they don't make the playoffs bet. It's a little bit steep, but um, you get, you know, 100 bucks gets you like 50 bucks or whatever. But I'm also one of those cowards that likes to hedge my bets. So I'm either going to make 50 bucks or it's $100. I mean, you don't have to do 100 It's just easy math when I say 100 They're minus 210 so if you put in 210 you get $100, whatever. So I'm just more or less cutting it in half. But I'm, I'm, I'm a coward that likes to hedge my bets because if I'm going to lose 100 bucks, but the Packers get in the playoffs, I mean, it's win-win for me. But no, again, as, as far as the bets are concerned, plus 400 for the Packers to win the division just makes a lot more sense to me. Um, current wins, and this is this is DraftKings, by the way. I just kind of picked one randomly. You can pick whatever. There's probably slightly different um, lines in different places. But they've got uh, the Green Bay Packers set at 7.5 wins, pretty close to even money. They got uh, over set at minus 115, under set at minus 105. So they're leaning under a little bit. And again, it's kind of one of those things where I mean, unless you think that they're going to be under, then then maybe you would look at that, like if you're supremely confident. But if you're thinking over, again, we're talking, if you put $100 down on them being over seven and a half wins, so, so baseline is they get, let's say, eight, the alternative would be to bet plus 400 that they win the division. Let's say, I mean, it's possible nine wins wins the division. Why would you bet on them over seven and a half to get more than seven and a half but not win the division? Because if they, I mean, if, if if they win eight or maybe nine, then this was probably the right bet. But anything, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, I mean, obviously those are more unlikely, but I, I just think it makes more sense to just bet on them winning the division. You're already butting up so close. I mean, it's possible one of these teams, you know, the Lions could get 13 wins and the Packers get 10, and then you were an idiot and you should have just taken the over. I get that. It just seems to make more sense to me that because the, the number is so much more drastic, it seems to me the, the, the better money would be to just pick them to win the division. My opinion. I mean, even if you look at it, they've got it, if, if you move it to nine and a half win, it's plus 275. So over nine and a half. So you're talking, if you pick them to win 10 games, you're getting $275 for 100 when you could just say win the division and get 400. Now, if you think they're going to blow it out of the water, you can go over 11 and a half and it's plus 750. But, you know, I don't think there's any reason to do that necessarily. Um, MVP award. Jordan Love is plus 5,000. I mean, I know it's unlikely, but that's a big number. <laughs> I mean, MVP is big either way. I mean, even Pat Mahomes is plus 700. If you were going to put money down somewhere, I'd be tempted to put it on Pat just because, I mean, it's Pat Mahomes. But you could do Aaron Rodgers is 1,600, whatever. Um is there a path for Jordan? There is, but eh. I, I will say it's wildly disrespectful that Jordan Love is plus 5,000, and so is Trey Lance <laughs> and Daniel Jones. It's also disrespectful to Kirk Cousins, who's plus 5,000. That guy, everybody hates that freaking guy. I mean, if you want to dabble, go for it. But I, I just, I mean, if Justin Fields keeps running like he does and can throw for like nine yards, he'll probably win MVP. If he could just like find a way to throw it to anybody ever. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers is on a tear, and of course he's got Garrett Wilson, who's a freak, and Lamar Jackson runs for a billion yards, and they're just dying to give the MVP to somebody that can run. Tua's got all the weapons at wide receiver, and, I mean, Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. You look at the weapons they have on top of everything. Every, you know, Jalen Hurts, and it, it's partially a popularity contest, and everybody hates Jordan Love. So if it's even kind of close, I don't think it goes to Jordan Love. So uh, I wouldn't personally touch that one. Honestly, if you're looking for a long shot plus 5,000, I'd rather do Christian Watson for Offensive Player of the Year. If he can even halfway re replicate what he did last year and do it for a full season, I mean, he's in. The, the, the touchdown rate, the rushing touchdowns, the receiving touchdowns, the, the depth of target, the yards per route run, that would be, if I'm looking for a plus 5,000, that would be it. Or you got Rashawn Gary plus 5,000 for Defensive Player of the Year. It's going to be a pretty tall order, but... Actually, probably wouldn't because he's got the injury. We don't even know when he's coming back. I mean, if he comes back week one, that might be in the discussion. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't touch it. be interesting to look at maybe somebody like Jair, um, but it's going to come down to interceptions. It's the only reason anybody would care about a corner is if he just gets like seven interceptions in a year. Maybe some even more exciting 
bets would be somebody like Luke Musgrave, who's at plus 7,500. I mean, you know, the quarterbacks always are going to be at the top, and that's going to be tough. But I don't even know if Anthony Richardson's going to start. And Bryce Young, I mean, it's, it's a pretty weak class. And then if, if they're not it, who's the top guys? Bijan? Tyler Algier was one of the best running backs last year. He's going to be splitting carries with the guy. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba is like the number three in Seattle. Jameer Gibbs in Detroit? Come on. You got Addison, who's the number two in Minnesota. Zay, Quentin Johnston. I mean, there's, there's nobody here that's like just a lock to do anything. So I think Luke has some potential. Or Jaden Reed's right next to him at plus 6,500. I don't think it's far-fetched at all to think that he could be the top wide receiver in the NFL. It probably isn't the, the top pick, but considering how far down he is, I mean, he's way below Tank Bigsby. I mean, some of the guys that, I mean, Rashawn Johnson, is he like a fourth-round Bears running back? Are you serious? So, I mean, a lot of this is just underrating. If you can put 10 bucks down on Jaden Reed and get $650 return or 750 on Luke Musgrave, I mean, just put 20 bucks down, you get on, on either one of them. And Tucker Craft is plus 10,000. So, I mean, there's a lot of these. I think that the bottom line with this, I mean, you got, you know, league leader in passing yards, passing touchdowns, rushing yards, blah, blah, blah. The, uh, the biggest thing with a lot of this for me, I'm not trying to just get you to gamble. I just think there's opportunity because the Packers are underrated. That's what I believe. And it's not because I, I genuinely believe they're going to be elite. I, I just think when you look at the odds compared to what they should be, there's, there's a, a lot of opportunity. And, and the upside for a lot of these guys is high enough. You know, it, it, it's completely understandable that the Packers would be doubted. But it doesn't take much. The, the potential is there for these guys to be league leaders. That's not the case for everybody. So if you're into that kind of thing, it might be worth poking through and just seeing what's out there. Don't be reckless with it. I'm just, I'm just saying. But anyways, I'm going to leave you guys with that. You have a good one. I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.